Every plant God has not planted. A sermon by Benjamin Keach. But he answered and said, Every plant my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. Matthew 15, verse 13. The occasion of this simile rose from what proceeds in verse 12. Then came his disciples and said, Knowest thou not that the Pharisees were offended after they heard that saying? So the design of our Savior herein is, number one, to show the sad state of the Pharisees, who, though they were so nice and strict as not to eat with unwashed hands, yet had unwashed or filthy hearts and lies. Number two, that what plant the blessed God hath not planted, though they may remain for a time, yet they shall be rooted up in the end. In speaking to this, I shall open what our Lord may mean by plants, raise some points of doctrine from hence, by every plant what may be meant, every doctrine, every practice, every person. Number one, every doctrine that is not of God or a truth of God, though asserted and maintained with great confidence by men of corrupt principles, though it hath stood a long time and thought to be an undoubted truth, yet at last it shall be rooted up and be manifested to be an error, and so be cast off and disowned forever. The Pharisees held many pernicious doctrines, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Mark 7, verse 7. But all their evil notions and traditions were in a few years rooted up. And so in the end shall all the evil plants of false doctrines and heirs of this perilous times, the glorious light of the gospel, which will shine forth in the latter days, will root out all the popish, Socinian, and Armenian errors with Quakerism and all other evil plants of false doctrines whatsoever. Number two, every practice, i.e., whatsoever is practiced as the truth of God, or as an ordinance of Christ, or whatsoever he appointed not, as are ceremonies introduced into the worship of God, that are none of his institution, but is merely human, shall be rooted up. Together with all acts of voluntary humility, such as Paul speaks of, which things have a show of wisdom and humility, and neglecting the body, not in honor to the satisfying the flesh, Colossians 2.23. Many of which acts of pretended humility are in several orders of men in the Popish Church, and have appeared in others also in this nation. Number three, and every person, that is, every one who seem saints, or profess themselves to be Christians, or plants in God's vineyard, that are not sincere or true believers, or plants of God's planting, shall be rooted up. Though they may have stood and gone for good Christians a great while, yet they shall be cut down and cast into the fire at last. From hence note, that there are some plants that God never planted which shall be rooted up, that those plants that God hath planted shall never be rooted up. And speaking of the first of these, I shall show what is meant by planting, and also show who planted them and where those plants may be planted. Number two, run the parallel between natural and mystical plants. 
Number three, show why those plants which God hath not planted shall be rooted up. Planting is setting or putting things into the ground, whether they are trees, herbs, or flowers. So mystical planting denotes the transplanting in a spiritual way, this or that person. From a course of open profaneness into a visible profession, they leave their old course of life, their old company or companions, and also they leave the people in their worship among whom they before walked. And they may be planted in a visible church of Christ, or be set in God's vineyard, and be called His plants. The vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah His pleasant plants. Isaiah 5.7 True, these were plants of the National Church of the Jews. They grew up by generation as they sprung from the loins of Abraham by Isaac, lineally, and were none of them transplanted to a better soil during the time of the standing of that church state. But some of them were removed when the Gospel Congregational Church took place and was constituted by our Lord and His Apostles in the primitive time. Question. Who is it that plants people in the Gospel Church? Answer. If they are gracious men and women, God planted them there. Our Savior shows some are planted by His Heavenly Father, who is called a husbandman, and so on. John 15.1 And the Lord added to the church daily, such that should be saved. Acts 2.47 Number 2. Gospel ministers may be said to plant them also. I have planted and Apollos watered. 1 Corinthians 3.6 God honored Paul to be a great planter in this gospel church. Ministers are said to plant by preaching when God gives the increase or blesseth their ministry to the conversion of sinners. But, section 2, I shall run a parallel between an external planter, planting, and a spiritual planter, and spiritual planting. Number 1. A planter is one instructed into the mystery of that art. He has wisdom and skill in planting which others have not. So a minister of Christ is one God hath taught the mysteries of the gospel to, and hath endowed with wisdom, spiritual and ministerial gifts, and graces which others have not. Paul shows when Christ ascended on high, he gave gifts to men, Ephesians 4.8, that is, to fit and qualify them to be spiritual planters or preachers of the gospel. Human learning and knowledge of the tongues cannot make men ministers of Christ, but they may be ministers of man's making only, or be national ministers, but not be Christ's ministers. Though the knowledge of the tongues are very useful to ministers, and such learning is not to be condemned, provided no stress is laid upon such learning, rendering it absolutely necessary, or that it is sufficient to make men ministers of Christ. It is a good handmaid, but a bad mistress. Number 2. A planter must have a call by the owner of the vineyard, or be in an orderly way empowered by the chief and great planter before he is allowed to plant in his vineyard. So every minister must be called and regularly empowered, or ordained a pastor or a planter by the rules of the gospel, before he is or ought to be allowed to preach and plant persons in God's vineyard. How shall they preach except they be sent? Romans 10.15 That is, unless they receive a regular call and authority from Christ so to do.
A planter must have fit and proper instruments to do this work. So ministers have the gospel, which is an instrument of God's power in the hand of the Spirit, by which they work and plant sinners into Christ and in His church. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation unto all that believe, and so on. Romans 1.16 The gospel is also called the engrafted word, which is able to save the soul. James 1.21 Sinners by it through the Spirit are grafted into Christ or obtain union with Him. It is done instrumentally by the word preached, but efficaciously by the Spirit. Number 4. A planter doth not know infallibly the difference there is in plants. He may think a plant is of the right kind, but may be mistaken. So a minister knowing not the hearts of men may think this and that person is a true person, is a true plant, a sincere convert, but may be deceived as Philip was in Simon the sorcerer, who would have said, believed and was baptized, Acts 8.13. Number five, a skillful planter knows that a wild and grafted tree never bears good fruit. No, it must be removed and grafted with a better kind. So ministers know that an unregenerated man who only grows out of the wild olive tree, I mean the first Adam, cannot bring forth good fruit. Every sinner must therefore be transplanted by being renewed and must by the Spirit be grafted into Jesus Christ. And as every twig a planter designs to graft must be cut off with a sharp knife and presently grafted in the new stock, so must sinners by the word and spirit, which is sharp as a two-edged sword, be cut off from sin, the love of the world, and so on, and immediately be grafted into Jesus Christ. They were pricked in their heart. Acts 2.37 This is a work of the Spirit in conviction. Number 6. A planter observes a proper season for planting, as when the ground is prepared and made soft by the showers of heaven. So do ministers observe the season of planting and sowing the seed of the word, even when God hath prepared the hearts of sinners and made their spirits tender by the divine rain. A planter doth not only plant, but also water. So ministers do not only preach for conviction and conversion, but also for consolation and building up, that believers may grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. A planter greatly rejoices to see his plants grow, thrive, and bear much fruit, but he knows this is from God alone. So a minister rejoices greatly to see the saints that he hath instrumentally planted in God's vineyard, to grow in faith, love, in humility, in knowledge, and in all the fruits of righteousness. But all the increase of his labor, he says, with Paul, is of God. But God gave the increase. 1 Corinthians 3.6 So much as to planters, I shall speak a little further as touching plants. Number one, plants must be well-rooted that bring forth fruit. So must Christians be well-rooted, e being rooted in love. Ephesians 3.17 There must be a rooting in Christ, a rooting in faith, a rooting in love, rooting in humility, rooting in the doctrine of the gospel, or else they will soon be plucked up or blown down by every wind of doctrine. Number two, plants must be pruned and purged also, though this is chiefly God's own and more immediate work. 
every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth, that it may bring forth more fruit. John 15.2 By mortification and sanctification, God purges his saints. He purges their conscience from dead works. He purges the filth of the daughters of Zion. By his word, he purges them, and by his spirit, he purges all. By the rod or by trials, losses and crosses, and persecution, he purges them also. Number three, some plants who promise well prove barren and good for nothing. So some spiritual plants prove not and barren, like the fruitless fig tree. They seem to have much zeal, love, and faith for a little time, but lo, by and by they are offended and wither away and come to nothing. Number four, plants that wither prove utterly barren after waiting three or four years are rooted up or cut down. So such church members are professors who prove loose, carnal, and utterly barren. After long patience, God roots up and cuts down. These three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and found none. Cut it down, why cumbereth it the ground? Again it is said, Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. John 15.2 And then they being withered are cast into the fire and burned. Secondly, why shall every plant God hath not planted be rooted up? Number one, because they are wild plants, plants never transplanted out of the evil and corrupt root, I mean the first Adam, but remain dead in sins and trespasses, being of the works of the law, and so remain under the curse, and being not made good trees cannot bring forth good fruit. Number two, because all plants that God hath not planted, having no right to be planted in his vineyard, the gospel church consisting, or ought to consist, only of renewed or regenerate persons, they are only such God adds to, or planteth in the gospel church. True, in the legal and typical church of Israel, the carnal seed of Abraham were planted, and had a right of church membership and privileges as such, but that church state is dissolved, old things being gone, and all things now are become new. The gospel being congregational ought wholly to consist of such who are made new creatures. Number three, because they do but cumber the ground, as is showed in the parable of the barren fig tree, they are prejudicial or injurious to God's vineyard, and a great reproach and scandal to religion, exposing the name of God to contempt with his ways and ordinances. Is it not an unbecoming sight to see a crab tree grow in a king's vineyard, or briars and thorns planted there? Would he endure to behold them set and grow up amongst his rich and costly plants and excellent flowers that are of great worth, both for pleasure and profit? Why, these are like crab trees, briars and thorns, Hebrews 6, 6 and 8. And therefore it is a shame that they should be suffered to grow in the vineyard of the king of heaven and earth. Number 4. Because they are good for nothing but for the fire, or to be burned, being rotten-hearted hypocrites, the ways of the Lord are right, and the just shall walk in them, but transgressors shall fall therein, Hosea 14.9. Application. This may inform us what just rebuke such will one day meet with from God, who bring in or plant the carnal seed of believers in their pretended gospel churches, 
Be sure such plants, of which the New Testament congregations do not or ought not to consist, are plants that God never planted, but the carnal seed of believers as such, I mean little babes, according to the constitution of the gospel church, ought not to be admitted as members thereof, though some of the children of believers are in the election of grace, and as such belongs the kingdom of heaven. Yet it is not known which of the children of believers are elected to salvation. Besides, baptism and the Lord's Supper are ordinances of mere positive right, and none but such who do believe and make a profession of their faith, being regenerated persons, ought to be received or admitted to either of those ordinances, or be members of the Church of Christ. Faith and repentance being required of all that ought to be baptized and planted into the gospel congregations by virtue of Christ's great commission and the practice of the apostolical churches. They must be such that are dead to sin and raised by the operation of God to walk in newness of life. All that are to be baptized ought to have the inward spiritual grace who have the outward sign or symbol of it given unto them. Number two, let hypocrites, or such persons who are not sincere, who are planted in gospel churches, tremble. For since God planted them not there, they must and shall in a short time be rooted up. Number three, this may also show what care ministers and churches should take about planting people in their congregations, lest they receive such persons who are none of the plants of the Lord, nor such that bring glory to Him, but contrariwise greatly dishonor Him, and are a reproach to His churches and to His ways and ordinances. But to proceed to another proposition... All the plants which God himself hath planted shall stand and never be rooted up. This truth, my brethren, is clearly implied in this simile. In speaking to this, I shall briefly do two things. Number one, show what kind of plants they are that God hath planted. Number two, show why they shall never be rooted up. First, show what plants they be. The plants God hath planted are truly grafted into Jesus Christ. They are united by the Spirit unto Christ, who is a living stock. It is one thing, my brethren, to be planted into Christ's vineyard, and another thing to be planted or grafted into Christ, who is a true olive tree. The plants of God's planting have the Spirit of God in them. The Spirit is indeed the bonds of our union with Christ. If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Romans 8, 9. From hence also they are quickened, they have life in them, as well as they are united to a living stock, and not only life in them, but are spiritual and lively also. All other plants I showed you are dead. The plants God hath planted have holy habits planted in them, and thus they become good trees, good plants. Their vicious habits are rooted out. They have changed hearts, or are regenerated persons, or such that are born again. They are new creatures, John 3, 3 and 5, have new qualities, new desires, new affections, and so are holy and heavenly plants. Every grace of the Holy Spirit is planted in them as faith love, hope, humility, patience, temperance, sobriety, meekness, and brotherly kindness, 2 Corinthians 5.17.
and these things render them to be lovely plants, and plants that God's own right hand hath planted, which shall never be barren nor unfruitful. Second Peter 1, 8. And from hence it appears that they have the root of the matter in them, from whence all their fruit springs up and grows in them, even all the fruits of obedience and good works. Why persecute we him, seeing the root of the manner is found in him? Job 19.28 Our Lord shows that the stony ground hears had not root in them. Matthew 13.21 But believers have Christ in them, who is a root of the matter, the root of faith, love, and so on. They are rooted in Christ. But note, from that passage in Job, to censor a godly man is a kind of persecution. Why do you persecute me as God, and are not satisfied with my flesh? Job 19.22 God hath power to judge and censor us. He knows our hearts, but man doth not, and therefore ought not to pass any rash judgment, or not judge any good man's state as to censor him as an hypocrite, though many great afflictions and unusual trials and manifold infirmities may attend him, yet they may be good plants, holy persons in God's sight. Question. What is meant by the root of the matter? Answer. Christ primarily, as I hinted, is the root of the matter. Christ, as God, is the original root and mediator, the root in whom we are planted by the Spirit. Yet, as Mr. Carlyle notes, habitual grace may be said also to be the root of the matter, or that first grace that is infused into the soul, or, as others, sincerity, the root may be uprightness of the heart. Be sure such have the root of the matter in them. Question. Why is it called a root? Or the root of the matter? Answer. Because a root is a hidden thing. It lies deep in the earth and out of sight. So the spirit and the habits of grace are hidden things and lie out of the sight of men. We read of the hidden man of the heart. Our life is a hidden life. A fruitful root tends to make a fruitful plant and greatly feeds and strengthens it. So we being rooted in Christ, born by this root, springing up out of this root, we are made fruitful Christians and obtain strength. It is for lack of being rooted in Christ or lack of the habits of grace that other plants are soon rooted up, wither, and come to nothing. It is hard to root up a tree that hath a deep root, but yet that may be done. But a believer being rooted in Christ, he is such a deep and hidden root. None, neither sin, the world, nor devil can root up this root, nor hinder the sap from feeding those plants that grow out of this root. Number 5. The plants of God's planting are full of heavenly juice. The trees of the Lord are full of sap, the cedars of Lebanon, which he hath planted. They are full of the spirit of wisdom and knowledge, of faith, zeal, and so on. They are fruitful plants. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. John 15.5 They are holy men and women. They are called trees of righteousness. Not carnal, proud, covetous, contentious, or quarrelsome persons. No, such show they are not plants of God's planting. 
Gracious persons are known by their holy lives, as trees are known by the fruit they bear, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They are plants that never cease bearing of fruit. Their fruit fails not. Their faith, their love, their zeal, their good works, their obedience, their piety shall continue, and also they shall bring forth fruit in due season. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf shall not wither. Psalm 1, verse 3. Some bring forth fruit for a short time, but their fruit fails, and their very leaf withers, i.e., they falter in their outward profession, and cannot keep up in outward duties of religion, but the plants of God's planting, they shall not see when he cometh, but her leaf shall be green, and shall not be careful in years of drought, neither cease from yielding fruit. Jeremiah 17.8 Secondly, why shall not the plants of God be rooted up? Number one, because they are ordained to bring forth fruit. What man will root up a very fruitful tree that always is fruitful? Now, as you hear, such plants are the plants of God's planting. Neither indeed can it be otherwise, by virtue of Christ's ordination. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you, that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain. John 15:16. How should such plants be ever rooted up that are ordained to eternal life, and also are ordained to bear fruit, and that their fruit shall remain? Number two, because they are, as you heard, planted in Christ, united by the Holy Spirit to the Lord Jesus, and so grow out of the root and offspring of David. Because I live, ye shall live also. John fourteen nineteen. Only Christ ever lives, their root lives, their head lives, and therefore the trees, the plants, that grow out of this root shall ever live also, and the members of such a head must live. For shall the head live forever, and the members die? Abhor the notion that some men assert. Christ lived on earth that we might live. He died also that we might live, and rose from the dead that we might live, and now lives in heaven to intercede for us that we may live. And therefore none of these plants can be rooted up, but must live forever. Number three, because the love of God is everlasting and unchangeable to all these plants, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, nor from the love of God, which is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Jeremiah 31.3 Besides, as I hinted, they are members of Christ's mystical body. Can he lose a limb of his body, a member of his body? No, certainly, he shall have a perfect body, and therefore cannot be rooted up. Romans 8, 35 and 39. Number 4. Because none can pluck them up. No enemy can root them up, as God will not. So sin, the flesh, the world, and the devil cannot. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither can any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father that gave them me is greater than all, and none is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. John 10:28, 29, and 30. Doth the Father love them with an eternal love? And hath Christ bought them, redeemed them with his own blood? And hath the Spirit renewed and sanctified them? And shall they after all this be rooted up? 
Will God suffer sin to do it, or Satan to do it? No. Sure, if they sin, they have an advocate with the Father. Their sins are satisfied for, and are forgiven forever. Number 5. The prayer and intercession of Christ prevents their being utterly rooted up. I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. Our Lord hath prayed that all that the Father gave him may be where he is, and so on, and he hath undertaken also to bring them all to heaven, and must not lose one. Therefore they cannot be rooted up and finally perish. I infer that no doctrine is more comfortable than the doctrine of final perseverance. See that you are believers, that you are not drawn away from the belief thereof by men of dark minds, who understand little of the nature of the covenant, of the love of God, nor of the suretyship of Jesus Christ. But, O oh, see, you show forth the praises of this God, who with his own hand hath planted you in a fruitful hill. Examine yourselves, lest you should not be plants that our Heavenly Father hath planted, that you may not be deceived. Have you received the Holy Spirit? It is a soul-illuminating spirit. What light have you? It is a soul-humbling spirit. It is a grace-implanting spirit. It is a soul-assimilating spirit. It forms the image of God in the soul. It is a soul-sanctifying and sin-mortifying spirit. It is a soul-rooting and a soul-establishing spirit. Comfort to believers or to these blessed plants. My brethren, the corruptions of our own hearts cannot, shall not root us up. Satan by his temptations cannot root us up. Poverty, necessity, reproaches, nor persecution cannot root us up. Deceivers nor delusions cannot root us up. This our Lord shows is impossible, for if it was, they would deceive even the very elect. Matthew twenty four twenty four. The habit of grace can never be lost. Though you fall, yet you shall rise again. Notwithstanding your fears, your doubts, and deceitful hearts and the snares of the world, you shall stand. I will conclude with the words of the psalmist. The righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. He shall grow like the cedar in Lebanon. Those that are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bring forth fruit in old age. They shall be fat and flourishing. To show that the Lord is upright, He is our rock, and there is no unrighteousness in Him. Psalm 92, verses 12 and 15. Psalm 34 the psalm of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, who drove him away, and he departed. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. O oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and delivered me from all my fears. They looked unto him and were not lightened, and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is a man that trusteth in him. O oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Come, ye children, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. 
What man is he that desireth life, and loveth many days, that he may see good? Keep thy tongue from evil, and thy lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil, and do good. Seek peace, and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open unto their cry. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil, to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth, and delivereth them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. He keepeth all his bones, not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and they that hate the righteous shall be desolate. The Lord redeemeth the soul of his servants, and none of them that trust in him shall be desolate. Poor sinner, come, cast off thy fear, and raise thy drooping head. Come sing with all poor sinners here, Jesus who once was dead. Salvation sing, no word more meet, to join to Jesus' name. Let every thankful tongue repeat, Salvation to the Lamb. Saints, from the garden to the cross, your conquering Lord pursue, who dearly to redeem your loss, groaned, bled, and died for you. Now reigns victorious over death, the glorious great I am. Let every soul repeat with faith, salvation to the Lamb. When we incurred the wrath of God, alas, what could we worse? He came and with his own heart's blood redeemed us from the curse. This paschal lamb, our heavenly meat, was roasted in the flame. Repeat, ye ransomed souls, repeat, salvation to the Lamb. Proverbs chapter 2 My son, if thou wilt receive my words, and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom, and apply thine heart to understanding, yea, if thou criest after knowledge, and liftest up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as silver, and searchest for her as for hid treasures, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord, and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord giveth wisdom, out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. He layeth up sound wisdom for the righteous. He is a buckler to them that walk uprightly. He keepeth the paths of judgment, and preserveth the way of the saints. Then shalt thou understand righteousness and judgment and equity, yea, every good path. When wisdom entereth into thine heart, and knowledge is pleasant unto thy soul, discretion shall preserve thee, understanding shall keep thee, to deliver thee from the way of the evil man, from the man that speaketh forward things, who leave the paths of uprightness, to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice to do evil, and delight in the frowardness of the wicked, whose ways are crooked, and they forward in their paths, to deliver thee from the strange woman, even from the stranger which flattereth with her words, which forsaketh the guide of her youth, and forgetteth the covenant of her God, and her house inclineth unto death, and her paths unto the dead. None that go unto her return again, neither take they hold of the paths of life that thou mayest walk in the way of good men, and keep the paths of the righteous. For the upright shall dwell in the land, and the perfect shall remain in it. But the wicked shall be cut off from the earth, and the transgressors shall be rooted out of it.
Blessed are the humble souls that see their emptiness and poverty. Treasures of grace to them are given, the crowns of joy laid up in heaven. Blessed are the men of broken heart, who mourn for sin with inward smart. The blood of Christ divinely flows, a healing balm for all their woes. Blessed are the souls that thirst for grace, hunger and long for righteousness. They shall be well supplied and fed with living streams and living bread. Ephesians chapter 4 I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all, and through all, and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive, and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might feel all things. And he gave some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men, and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth and love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together, and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working, in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God, through the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over unto lasciviousness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ." If so be that ye have heard him, and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another." Be ye angry and sin not, let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. 
Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be a kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Lord, I am vile, conceived in sin, and born unholy and unclean, sprung from the man whose guilty fall corrupts the race and taints us all. Soon as we draw our infant breath, the seeds of sin grow up for death. The law demands a perfect heart, but we are defiled in every part. Behold, I fall before thy face. My only refuge is thy grace. Not outward forms can make me clean. The leprosy lies deep within. Jesus, my Lord, thy blood alone has power sufficient to atone. Thy blood can make me white as snow. No Jewish types could cleanse me so. While guilt disturbs and breaks my peace, nor flesh nor soul has rest or ease. Lord, let me hear thy pardoning voice, and make my broken bones rejoice. Buried in shadows of the night, we lie till Christ restores the light. Wisdom descends to heal the blind, in chase of the darkness of the mind. Our guilty souls are drowned in tears, till his atoning blood appears. Then we awake from deep distress, and sing, The Lord our righteousness. Our very frame is mixed with sin, his spirit makes our conscience clean. Such virtues from his sufferings flow, at once to cleanse and pardon too. Jesus beholds where Satan reigns, binding his slaves in heavy chains. He sets the prisoners free and breaks the iron bondage from our necks. Poor helpless worms in thee possess grace, wisdom, power, and righteousness. Thou art our mighty all, may we give our whole selves, O Lord, to thee. Stand up, my soul, shake off thy fears, and gird the gospel armor on. March to the gates of endless joy, where thy great captain Savior's gone. Hell and thy sins resist thy course, but hell and sin are vanquished foes. Thy Jesus nailed them to the cross, and sang the triumph when he rose. What though thy inward lusts rebel, tis but a struggling gasp for life. The weapons of victorious grace shall slay thy sins, and end the strife. Then may my soul march boldly on, press forward to the heavenly gate. Their peace and joy eternal reign, and glittering robes for conquerors wait. Isaac Watts This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.stillwater.com swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com. 
by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle is adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.